0: Today's dars, insha'Allah, will be on Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu <clears> ta'ala <throat> Abdullah bin Mas'ud عنه, is one of the most remarkable scholars from the galaxy of Sahaba for many reasons. Number one, he's from the early converts, from the early people that accepted Islam. Number two, he participated in all the battles with Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Number three, which is possibly the most famous thing about him that he's known for. Does anyone know what Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu is very famously known for? His fiqh, his knowledge of Islamic law. Imam Abu Hanifa, alayhi, studied under Hamad bin Abi Suleiman Hamad bin Abi Suleiman studied under Ibrahim al-Nakhari Ibrahim al-Nakhari studied under Al-Qama bin Abi Waqas qama bin Abi Waqas studied under Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu And Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu is a direct student of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So the Sanad of Fiqh, the chain of Fiqh of the Hanafi Madhar goes through Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu Different Sahaba heard different things from the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And therefore, when there would be different opinions in the latter generations, the Imams would give preference to one Sahabi's opinion over the others. Imam al-Hanifa would always give preference to the opinions of Abdullah bin Mas'ud Radiyallahu anhu. Why? Abdullah bin Mas'ud anhu was that Sahabi to start off in complexion, he was very dark, He was very skinny, to the point that his legs, his his shins were just, they were like straws. And the Munafiq used to make fun fun of his legs. And he was as tall as a sitting person. So he was only about two and a half to three feet tall. And this is the same person that in the Battle of Badr, at the end, he went around to see who was still surviving and Abu Jahl was there. And Abu Jahl saw him and he looked at him and Abu Jahl said, oh my God, out of all the people, you're the one that's gonna kill me? He said, when you chop my neck, chop it from the bottom so that when the necks of the enemies are lined up, my neck would be above the rest of the necks. Abdullah bin Mas'ud sat on his chest and carved it from the bottom so that his neck is the shortest. I mean, they didn't do that. But that's what he thought. You know, the, the, in jahiliyyah, they would drink from the skulls of their enemies. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu was also known as the secret bearer of the Prophet Wasallam, And he had permission to listen to the whispers of Rasulullah I I don't know if I Um, I was once in a gathering where Mufti Mink was talking to a group of people. And it was like he was standing in the hallway, something like that. And there were workers that were there and he had given something to everybody but he fell short to give to the workers. So he's telling the workers that I'm going to give you guys, you know, I'll give it to you tomorrow or something. I'm here for a few days. So I was standing there to say salam to him as I leave. And uh, I had the thing that he had was he gave everybody. So I had one of those things. And I I was okay with letting it go to give it to someone else. So after he finished that conversation, he turned around. I said, you know, with you can take my thing. He said, you're not supposed to listen to my conversation." And immediately like I felt, I was like, "No, he's right. Like that, the tarbiyah element, right? Tarbiya is a non-stop grind. The tarbiyah element. And that like, till this moment still rings in my head. Okay, if people are talking, it doesn't matter. If you're not included in the conversation, don't interject into the conversation. But Ibn Mas'ud had the permission from Rasulullah that you can listen in to any of my conversations. He was allowed to go in and out of the house of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He was the person that was known who would carry the miswak of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the pillow of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So you know when the shaykh is sitting somewhere to you put a pillow there and they lean against something? Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu used to carry the pillow of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the miswak of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the lota of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Lota is basically uh, the water pot we have inside our Bathrooms, that little little bucket. Abdullah bin Mas'ud عنه, used to carry these things. are of the Prophet Sallallahu and he was from the. He accepted Islam from the early, early sahaba. So he was with the Prophet throughout Makkah, Medina. He migrated to Abyssinia two times. Sayyidina Umar bin Al-Khattab radiyallahu says, ilman. "One day he looked at Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu and he said." This man is a mansion, he's a, he's a castle full of knowledge. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiyallahu anhu remained as the governor of Kufa for a very long time, uh, in the time of Umar bin al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu, then subsequently in the time of Uthman radiyallahu anhu. Then he came back to Medina Munawwara and he passed away in the year 33 Hijrah. Umar anhu one time came inside Kufa, And this was the impact of this one man. Remember Imam for harifah a generation, generations later, takes from this impact of this one man, Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Abdullah bin Mas'ud in Kufa, while he is there, he creates the culture of studying and knowledge. So much so that when Umar came and visited, he said that you have filled every valley, every alley of Kufa as if it is Medina itself. That if I was to pick up a rock from here, knowledge would come out of it. There's a saying they say in Urdu, that if you pick up a rock, you know, ten things will come <laughs> out it's An exaggerative thing. In English, they don't really use it as much as the same. But in Urdu, they do. And Abdullah bin Mas'udah, who created and cultivated this culture of knowledge and teaching, so on and so forth. Let's listen to some of his advices. Now, in this book, his advice is one of the longest, if not the longest, advices. There's actually four parts to it. Most of the companions have just one, you know, a few pages of their advices, and that's it. His is in four different sections. So I'm going to try to cover at least one or two today, and then complete the next, next week, inshallah. In the first few Advices, you're going to notice a certain similarity in what Abdullah bin Mas'udu is advising. There's a certain uh, frequency that is noted in his first few advices. The first one is, he says, Man kana فَمَنْ أَحَبَّ الْقُرْآنَ فَهُوَ يُحِبُّ اللَّهُ Abdullah bin Mas'ud رضي الله عنه says مَنْ كَانَ يُحِبُّ أَنْ يَعْلَمَ أَنَّهُ يُحِبُّ اللَّهُ If you want to know, do you really love Allah or not? What's the litmus test? How do I know if I truly and genuinely love Allah? فَلْيَعْرِذْ نَفْسَهُ عَلَى الْقُرْآنَ Measure yourself against the Qur'an. فَإِنْ أَحَبَّ الْقُرْآنَ if you truly love the Qur'an, listening to it, reciting to it, being around it, فَهُوَ يحب الله, Then you love Allah. فَإِنَّمَا الْقُرْآنَ كَلَامُ اللَّهُ Qur'an is Allah's speech. And the one who loves Qur'an truly loves Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What's my relationship with the Qur'an? When I first went to study in Dharm Zakariya, I I took a mission in the fifth year. And I was, it was tajweed class where Dharm uh, Zakari is really big on tajweed. And you studied tajweed all the way to six out of seven years of the program you studied tajweed. And my tajweed teacher was Qadi Salih Peck. He was an interesting scholar. He's Shafari. He was Cape Malay, so he was in Desi. Uh, he was like white Dutch mixed with Malay, mixed with a bunch of other things. He was tall and he was like, a, I think, a third-degree black belt. Um, you can actually listen to his recitation and some of his things online. Very few of my, my teachers, you can find some of their knowledge online. He's one <laughs> of the few that you can find something. It's Qari Peck, P-E-C-K. And his recitation, his demeanor, you know, white imama white kurta, white, but like the whole Zakariya, almost every teacher dressed the same. This full white from head to toe. I started wearing this a lot more in the winters because it just keeps you a little warmer. But the teachers of Zakariya, generally they were white. And Qari Saleh was amongst this. Out of all my teachers that taught me, because I came in the senior years, in the higher years, all my teachers were a lot older. They were, they were very, they were seniors. Qari Saleh was the youngest of my teachers. And it's interesting is because, where I formerly studied, the teachers were very young. And there was maybe one old teacher. And when, I went, when I entered the entered in Zakaria, and I remember I was waiting for the class to start, and a person walked in with a beard and the turban, and I said, and everyone started laughing at me, they said, what are you doing? I said, is he not the teacher? And they were like, no, they're like, we're students. And then one of the guys said, you'll know the teacher when he walks in. And I was like, what's that supposed to be? Uh, Turned out I became the youngest in my class. I was the second youngest. Marna Arshad was six months older than me. But I was the second youngest in my class of 51. And everybody else was much older than I was. And, you know, we saw Marna Choksi walking, And that's when we realized, okay, the salt and pepper (laughs) beards. Now all of them are just salt. We saw the teachers when there were salt and pepper. Now all the teachers are just salt, and so they've gotten a lot older. One, Allah has even passed away. But Qadi Salih was just—he—he he had a certain demeanor to him, certain way he carried himself, his persona. He—he he just had a vibe to him. Like, if you ever see Qali Salih or meet him, you can just tell he's like—he's a really cool guy. He just like—he so just has this thing about him. I sat inside class. He said, "Assalamualaikum, Sallallahu Alaihi salam He said, "Are you a hafir No He said never say that Say insha'Allah. Inshallah He said you still have life Every person should intend On memorizing the Quran And should be memorizing the Quran Because the one who is memorizing the Quran And then dies Before completing it In a da'if narration it comes That Allah sends an angel By his grave To have him complete the Quran but even if the narration has its own issues to it, intention of something and, and, and having that mindset, Allah rewards you based on that. So every person should be trying to grow a little more of themselves in the Qur'an. Leave the music behind, learn to become addicted to the Qur'an. You know, I remember one of my first as I as I was older, because I grew up in Saudi, There's that one element of my memories of Saudi and then there's that when I I was living in America or studying and then I came back to visit. So when I came back to visit, I remember um, the way Makkah and Medina, it's like every car is a transformer taxi (laughs) at will. Uh, The guy's driving, he doesn't even know if he's going to be a taxi at this moment or not. (laughs) Uh, and it's just, it's just, you know, I, I, rem- I would remember seeing my dad just stand on the street and just go like this, and a car would just pull up, and I would just think that was the coolest thing in the world. Like, <laughs> and then Uber came. <laughs> um, and whenever we would sit inside the cars, everyone would have just quran on playing. It was the culture. It was normalized, and even till now, majority of the people they would just have quran on <laughs> playing. Normalize this. Normalize in your car, Qur'an playing. Normalize in your home, Qur'an playing. Not the Bollywood drama, or this show, or that song, or this thing, no. Normalize the Kalam of Allah. Another interesting thing I noticed in my travels, anyone been to England over here? Few people? British youth and British Muslims, especially the younger generation, brothers and sisters, are highly addicted to the Qur'an. It's insane. They literally, you know, how we like have programs and we'll say, "Oh, you know, Sheikh Yasir Qadi is coming," and people will be like, "Oh, we you know Sheikh Yasir knows." Pop up, right? Uh, Sheikh Ramadan, and maybe that's the only Qari you know, Sheikh Ramadan. In England, the kids on the street know like the most hidden gem Qur'an. I when I when I was on a tour in England one time, the kids were asking me like, "Who's your favorite Qari? I'm like my favorite Like I don't know uh And like they, 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 had, they would find people In the middle of Ghana A beautiful reciter Take him around the whole country And now people have just become Addicted to this man And his recitation Like true love of the Quran I had a friend Years ago He would only read Quran And he wouldn't do any other dhikr And me and him had a debate uh, he, to, he wasn't a scholar; he was just a hafid. And I turned to him and I said, "That, bro, you know, like, partition your time. Quran is good, but do other athkar or other things as well." And he said, There's, "He said, is there anything better than the Quran?" I said, "No." He said, "Then this is enough for me." At that time, I didn't know the hadith of the Prophet SAW, where the Prophet said, "If a person just suffices and reads Quran, then Allah will suffice everything for them." I didn't know that hadith at that time. Later in my life, I saw Allah bless him probably more than I have seen Allah bless any other human when it comes to the dunya. In my life, I haven't seen anyone else bless that much and that's because of the Quran he has. Like just constant reading and recitation of the Quran. We had one person in Madrasa Zakaria. I'll tell you another interesting thing about the Zakaria. Zakariya. Normal taraweeh over there is three juz in one day. Khatan of the Qur'an is done in 10 days. Three juz is normal. That's like the average person. The, the regular person sitting on the floor is reading 10 to 15 juz a day. The scholar is completing one Qur'an a day. Mara Farooq, the person who teaches his class at Darul Zakariya, one of the rectors over there, he, we sat with him one time and I wanted to know how much he reads Qur'an. He teaches for about six hours a day. How much Quran do you read a day? And he doesn't tell me. He's just like, I don't know. They're hiding their good deeds like we hide our sins. But today we even expose our sins online and snap and make TikTok videos out of it. But he is hiding his good deeds the way we hide our sins. We're supposed to hide our sins. So Mona Farouk doesn't answer my question. So I asked him, I was like, how long does it take you to read a juz? He said about fifteen minutes or so. He talks very fast. You have to like put him on 0.5 speed. You just can't under he because he's so he's so used to just reading Quran. That's all he's doing. He's walking. He's just reading Quran. So when he talks to you as a human being, it's so hard to understand him. What oh, was it? i just I'm like, Marna, what did you say? Uh, you're do not understand anything you say. Like he'd oh, okay, always like, oh, see me, clown me, and then he just carried you his way. <laughs> Right? Uh, and I remember every day in the morning, the principal of the school, Mona Shabir, a 70-year-old man, would sit every day in the morning and recite from his memory his Qur'an to this Hifs teacher. Every day. That was, that, that was what they did. He sat in the Mutalaka and he read his Qur'an every single day. So I asked Mona Faruq, I was like, how long does it take you to read it? Just about 15-20 minutes. About like, 10-15 minutes into the conversation, I was like, about how many hours a day outside of class do you read Quran? He said about six to eight hours. From there you can understand that the man almost completes the Quran on the daily. On a regular, this is outside of Ramadan. We have 80 days of Ramadan right now. This is, a, this is him outside of Ramadan. Imagine him in Ramadan, he's on stairways there. <laughs> he's on a different level of Ramadan. Finally, I'll tell you one other story. In South Africa, for some reason, there's a lot of bricks. And everything's built with bricks. Even the floor, they have bricks in the ground. So most of the mosques have a, they're just made with bricks, right? And there's a lot of beautiful masjids. One masjid, the architect wanted to be very unique. So he made a golden dome and gold and all these things. He didn't really think it through. Because by the time he was done, it looked like a fair share. So that legend became known as the Pharaoh Roshir And I had always seen it from outside And I wanted to go and pray inside I told my friend, I said uh, I'm visiting, let me pray inside the Pharaoh Roshir He said, yeah, okay He takes me to the Pharaoh Roshir uh, And after we finished Salah he's got, He has got. He comes from the Pandora family The Pandora family is this massive uh, family of about a thousand people from amongst them there's I think over 300 are scholars and over 600 are kafal. in one family yeah over there everybody's monana in that in, in that home everyone's mufti everyone's shaykh. it's not it's not a big flex over there so he, I mean what, and you can tell the, the whole family because they're all like you know Gujaratis and those people they like to marry in the family and stuff so the model is pretty much the same you can tell you see something like okay, this is from the Bandar family right they have those unique features to them so I met the guy and I was like, yeah. I was like he's one of yours? And he's like, yeah, he's like, one of yours. And then he's like, let me tell you a story about it. I was like, okay. He said, my cousin here is a half of the Quran. And he used to, I believe, read one Quran a day. And then he got into an accident. In South Africa, they say he met up in an accident. They don't say he, someone got in, they say they met up in an accident. It's a very interesting way of saying it. So when he gets into this accident and he wakes up from this concussion, wallahi, he does not know anybody. He doesn't even know who he is. He doesn't know his mother, father, nobody. And I was like, that's insane. I was like, so everyone had to reintroduce themselves? He was like, yeah. He's like, every person in our home had to reintroduce and teach him who he was. And I was like, did he go back and memorize the entire Qur'an? Because like this guy used to read the Qur'an every single day. And he said, that was the thing he didn't forget. He said the only memory he had was the Qur'an from A to Z. That's all he remembered. You see, if we remember the Qur'an, I'm just talking to myself here today. If we remember the Qur'an while we're awake, when we go into our grave and while we're asleep, we'll know the Qur'an. But if we forget the Qur'an while we're awake, we won't know it when we go into our grave. There are some people, while they're sleeping, they're reading Qur'an. They're sleep Qur'aning, sleep reciting. But that's because of the connection they've built with the Qur'an. So today I hope that we leave with this hope with this firm intention in our heart That we're going to make our relationship With the Quran the best relationship we can You know, honestly, I think to myself Sometimes, what are we going to answer To Allah on the day of judgment If I put a curtain Before you And before Tom, Jimmy At the burger spot uh, Any other random person on the street Almost everyone here is a child of an immigrant We speak English like we're one of them There's no difference. And that language is so far from our innate language, and we can't recite the Qur'an properly, what will we answer to Allah? That we adopted a whole new language, perfected it, and the style of it, and we wanted wanted to make sure no one could tell us apart. But when it comes to the Qur'an and the kalam of Allah, we didn't put that effort. Imam Jazri says, والأخذ بِالتَّجْوِيدِ حَتَمُ اللَّازِمُ فَمَنْ لَمْ يجود الْقُرْآنَ آثِمُ To read the Qur'an with tajweed is farruh, is compulsory. Compulsory. And if you do not read the Qur'an with tajweed, you are a sinner. Intentionally. That means what? Everyone has to either be on a journey of learning how to read the Qur'an, or have already learned how to read the Qur'an properly. The Prophet ﷺ says, that that person who reads the Qur'an and struggles to read the Qur'an, You get double the reward because it takes you double the time to read. But the one who can read it proficiently, you will be with the elite angels on the Day of Judgment. The Prophet said, the person who has more Qur'an inside them is like a mansion, it's like a home that is filled with furniture. And the one who has less Qur'an in them is like a house that is barren, has nothing inside it. So in this, as much as we can, Try to read Quran. If you cannot read, listen to Quran. Get a teacher. We have classes here. We have programs over here. Come and learn. Finances, cost of money. These things are important. We're not sitting here because like we're trying to enroll a bunch of students so that. No, we're here for one reason. Because most places you will walk in and walk out, and you hear a lecture alhamdulillah, Hamdulillah, and that's it. And that's where it just ends. That's not what we want to do. We want you to walk out of here thinking to yourself, how can I fix these things about myself? How can I sit? Sheikh Mohammed is here almost every day, Monday to Thursday, between Asr to Maghrib, or is it Maghrib to Isha? Go sit with him. Get your Tajweed right. Read your Quran properly. We have an alim over here. Sit with her. Learn how to read the Quran properly. You don't have an excuse Allah, you don't have an excuse. Allah has put things in front of you like this. Now it's your responsibility to take it up and fulfill it. On the day of judgment, Allah is not going to ask you, how many shaykhs did you follow? How many lectures did you attend? No. Your salah will be asked. Do you know how to pray salah properly? Do you know how to read Quran properly? Have you ever gotten your salah checked out by somebody? That am I praying properly? Am I doing my ruku properly? Am I doing my salat properly? Am I reading my du'as properly? If not, how do I know I'm even, talk- I'm, I'm even worshipping my Allah properly? So it is each and every person's responsibility to work on those things. Anyway, continuing on. al Quran فَإِنَّ فِيهِ عِلْمَ Abdullah bin Mas'ud رضي الله عنه says, Whoever wants... To delve into whoever wants knowledge, dive deep into the Quran. For the knowledge possess, for the Quran possesses knowledge of those before you and knowledge of those to come after you. It has complete knowledge everywhere. Sheikh Urthamin Rahimahullah, famous scholar from Saudi Arabia, said that the Quran has an answer to everything. Either it's apparent. Where it's hidden in a certain way, you have to unlock it. But the Qur'an has the answers of every single thing inside. It is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the deeper you'll make that relationship with the Qur'an, the more you'll appreciate that Qur'an. I'll give you an example. You know, uh, everyone has a hobby or something, right? So I know like, World Cup was happening. How many of y'all watched a World Cup game over here? almost everyone in this room, okay? Nice, a lot of bandwagoners. <laughs> um, how many of you actually watch soccer outside of the World Cup? Three people. The rest of you, you guys saw Morocco and that playing. you guys were all excited, Morocco and this and that and you But the other people, Adam, when you watched, you truly understood what it meant. For us, Messi is just a messy when He looks a little messy, that would be a <laughs> you feel watch soccer? No? No sports? Basketball. Basketball? Take basketball. Take any of these things for example. Right? People will post it and be like, oh my god, the World Cup, so proud. You don't even know what the how many players are on each team. But the person who knows it in and out, they will truly appreciate the game. And you can't get enough of it, am I right? Anyone into cars over here? A few people into cars. One thing is, from driving a fast car, a nice car, okay. One thing is, you really understand the car, the mechanics, and what goes inside it. Sisters, take makeup for example. <laughs> you ask us, we can't tell the difference between contour and this shade and that green and that light, and it all looks the same. For you guys, it's like, subhanAllah, this, you know, sometimes when I go home and I see my sister and there's boxes and I see like, like 50 colors, like they all look brown to me. Like, it's the exact same thing. I you know each thing has its own light and shade and this and that and they can look at it for hours and hours and hours. You have an interest in it, you know it, you understand it. The one who has an interest in something, they can spend that much time with it. If you don't know your Quran, then you're disconnected with it. You have, you, you're, you, you, won't be able to truly appreciate the Qur'an if the only Qur'an you know is just the same few surahs you, you remember. Those like little mics and ask these type of questions on those TikToks. <laughs> ask the first 10 uncles and 10 aunties you meet, what surahs did you read in your sunnas? They'll tell you, <speaking in Hebrew> if she's a little more, mashallah, it's a little longer. <laughs> Most people, whatever surahs they memorized in their 8, 9, 10, 12 years, when they were that age, from then till they're 70, 80, they never touch the Qur'an again. They never memorize more again. And that's all the Qur'an that they know. Most people. The Qur'an that they memorize as a child, that's the only Qur'an they know till the day they die and they don't grow past it. You can change the script for yourself. Build that relationship with the Qur'an. Stay connected to the Qur'an. <laughs> okay. Abdullah bin Mas'ud, continues and says, al-Quran an idha na'imun. He says it's important for the one who is a true qari. You know what a qari is? In Arabic Qali, this literally means to recite. Colloquially, it means someone who has mastered the seven modes of recitation. So for example, you can recite, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Maliki Yawm deen Another recitation is, Ar-Rahman ar Maliki Yawm deen One is Sirat Al-Mustaqeem, one is Ziraat Al-Mustaqeem. One is الذين Another recitation is الذين عليهم One is waddu'ha. One is is Different modes of recitation. The one who masters this, this is called aqari. In our culture, if the person got a nice voice, they're aqari. The brother started off as Hafiz Ashfaq in Karachi. He boarded a flight. By the time his flight landed in DFW, he became Qari The youngster left Plano Majjid's hips class as half Hafiz Ismail. By the time he gets to Crystal banquet, <laughs> something happens on Independence, and now he's Qari Ismail. He doesn't know any rules of Qiraal. That's why our, our Ustad Qari used to say, there are some stage Qari and there's some true Qari. Some people are just for the stage. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the true genuine Qari. Over here is referring to the one who recites Qur'an, not the Saba' one. So Ibn Mas'ud says, it is necessary for the reciter of the Qur'an, that he is acknowledged or he knows who he is, when everyone is sleeping, he is reciting the Qur'an. And when people are busy in their day to day activities, he's reading his Quran. And when people are laughing and smiling and, and joking around, he's crying because the verses of Quran are hitting him. وَبِوَرْعِهِ إِذَا النَّاسِ يَخْلِطُونَ And when people are sitting and mingling and socializing and sitting in the corner with his Qur'an open, or with her Qur'an open. وَبِصَمْتِهِ إِذَا النَّاسِ And when people are talking and gossiping and backbiting, this one is silent, just going over their Qur'an. وَبِخُشُوْعِهِ إِذَا النَّاسِ And with their humility, when people have become oblivious, the Qur'an transforms people. The Qur'an truly transforms people become a reciter of it. And you know, if you don't know much of Qur'an, and all you know is just Surah Ikhlas, keep on reading that. The Prophet said, whoever reads Surah Ikhlas, you get the reward of one-third of the Qur'an. Technically speaking, three Ikhlas does not equal the Qur'an. <laughs> Technically. Because the Qur'an has three messages to it. It has Turheed, it has Risala, and it has Ahkam. Uh, it has the oneness of Allah, about prophets, and it has rulings, or the Disala, and Mu'amilat. So what? <coughs> Scholars digress. But the point is that because Surah Iqlase only talks about Tawheed, and the Quran, a big part of it is Tawheed, I'm good. Uh, One third of the Quran is uh, considered uh, 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 the reward of it is given. But anyway, inshallah, if you read it three times, Allah will give you the reward of the whole Quran. Just keep on reading Surah ikhlas. If that's all you know, just keep on reciting it and Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you the ajr for it, inshallah. Now another advice of Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud, He says, I'm going to go through some of these a little quicker. I'm just going to drop these gems in your mind and I want you to extrapolate from them. And I want you to really think, reflect, write them down. What you don't write, you forget. I don't think anyone's memory is that great here. If you don't write, you'll forget. So try to write as much as you can and look back at your notes so that you remember. Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anhu says, fi fa anta al-maliki." As long as you are praying Salah, you are knocking on the door of the King of Kings. And when a person knocks the door of a king as a beggar, the door will eventually <coughs> open. Know that while you're in Salah, you are knocking on the door of Allah. And don't think that Allah will not open, because if He didn't want to, If he didn't want to open it, he wouldn't have you knocking on it. In the Mathnawi Jalaluddin Rumi, rahimahullah mentions a story of a man who was really pious and used to pray Sallatura Ibadah. Someone came to him and said to him, How do you even know that Allah is responding to you? Have you ever heard Allah say anything to you? And thought he said, Maybe all everything I'm doing is is being wasted. So he stops praying A few days later Someone comes to him and says Why did you stop praying? He said, I don't know if my Allah was responding to me When I was calling to him So that person said to him Your calling upon Allah Is Allah's response to you The fact that you have the ability to seek Allah Means Allah is already replying to you for He would not allow you to beseech Him had He not want to give to you and grant you. The fact that you're going towards Him, He's already accepted you. We have a Kareem Allah, we have a Rahim Allah, we have a Shafiq Allah. There's just so much to date. You. you know, sometimes, And this is like really a really astaghfirullah moment, but I'm still going to say it because it's probably relevant really to a lot of you guys. You know when you're at a counter or you're talking to someone and the eye craves that person? You can just get your coffee right away. You can just order what you want. You start doing the small talk. Dealing. You know your food's going to get delayed. Oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from here. Oh you're talking and you're joking around with them, it's already five minutes gone by. You came in here all hungry. The moment you saw her, and all of a sudden you're trying to delete the conversation. Now the food is not as relevant because something else is quenching your thirst. Because you're thirsty. <laughs> At times, Allah delays giving to us. Because he enjoys speaking to us. At times, Allah doesn't give us when we ask, because He wants to hear us a little more. And you know how we are: the moment we get, we forget. We make the greatest and biggest promises when we're in a corner. May Allah forgive us all. I'm not preaching. I'm reflecting on this to myself, and I was thinking, "Allah, with the mic on me." And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes nudges us because if it wasn't for the nudge, our head would never touch the ground. Allah has to nudge us. Otherwise, you and I, we don't budge. We just remain where we are. We're complacent. When something happens, an accident happens, a loss happens, something's taken away. And Allah truly reminds us nothing is forever besides His eternal existence. Everything will cease besides His eternal existence. Which of the favors of your Lord will you deny? In another Advice of the love Ibn's uddin radiallahu anhu says. This one's deep too. If When Allah wants good for a servant of his, he guides him towards what? Wa Jaala Sualahu an He makes his questions or her questions regarding what concerns them. Wailbuhu Fimayan Faruhu. And makes their knowledge in what is beneficial to them. What does this mean? The scholars of the past would tell their students, you know, people like to ask some very ajet questions. I do figure fiction, so like I kind of am victim to this and the victimizer. <laughs> people ask some very strange questions. You know, can I use walk on my cats now? <laughs> So on, right. weird questions, weird things People. this is why are these questions popping up? there's no benefit there's no fighter, and then some people have the, have the most useless knowledge on the planet I had a friend of mine love him to minutes. may Allah give him khair and give him happiness but his mind was a dumpster for all <laughs> sport related things he knew what the cricket match was happening. He knew what the football score was. He knew what the basketball, what this. Bloody even fencing. Like, who watches watch these type of things? Like these things don't even like, nobody even cares about these things. And he's there, no scores of everything. I would go to Dawah's with him and the uncles would come and like, pull up to him and be like, I right. and he's out there just popping it off over there. And I'm just like, man, this is the definition of knowledge that is not beneficial. Or people will come and they they... they they know things that will not benefit them. <coughs> Fill your mind with beneficial knowledge. عِلْمُ النَّافِع One of the du'as of Rasulullah was, "Allahumma inni as'aluka عِلْمُ النَّافِع اللَّهُمَّ allahumma inni بِكَ مِنْ عِلْمٍ لَا يَنْفَعُ Allah, I ask you for knowledge that is beneficial, and I seek your protection from knowledge that is not beneficial about this person, that person, what's happening in their life and what's going on, not relevant. Going on, it doesn't matter, it's not your life. Their issues, their problems, not your problem. This is all useless knowledge. Imam Malik said, وَلَا أُحِبُّ الْكَلَامَ إِلَّا فِي تَحْتَ عَمَلٍ He said, I do not want conversation Besides what is under action. فَأَمَّ الْكَلَامُ فِي الدِّينِ Regarding uh, words that have to do with deen وَفِي اللَّهِ تَعَالَى That's all I care about. فَالسُكُوتْ أَحَبُّ إِلَيَّ I prefer to master silence. لِإِنِّي رَأَيْتُ أَهَلَ بَلَدِنَا يَنْهَوْنَ عَلِ الْكَلَامِ فِي الدِّينِ إِلَّا مَا تَحْتَ عمل. He says that I've seen people in our town. They would say, don't ask don't go to learn unless you plan on implementing in your life. Today, every halakha, every class is great. MashaAllah, I'm not discouraging you. By no means, stop going. I'm just saying, start acting more. We hear all of these things, but it's just, supposed to be food for the thought, it just becomes candy for the ears. Imam Nalik, Abdul Wahab Ibn Wahab says, one of the students of Rahmatullah Malik, rahmatul he said, Malik told me, ahla wa innahum nasi He said, I, My teacher told me that, that, you know what we see around us, where people are just asking questions and just want a plethora of knowledge. He said, This was looked down upon back in the day. Back in the day, people heard something and just thought, How can I bring this into my actions? And then I'll get more. Umar radiallahu ta'ala took 12 years, in one narration Abdullah bin Umar, one narration 10 years, to learn Surah Baqarah. Though our children learn it in months. Why did it take him a decade? Because until he did not bring everything into action, he would not move on. Like, I, I, I want to implement what I'm learning. عمل, I want to bring Amar inside. I thought I would have finished more than this, but I didn't. From his second chapter, I'm just going to graze over the advices without going into interpretation. He says, A'laikum ilm hold on to knowledge. فَإِنَّ أَحَدَكُمْ One of you, مَا يُفَتَقَرْ إِلَى will never know when you will be in need towards that knowledge. Learn, whether it's fiqh, hadith, tafsir, there are answers everywhere. Learn, because you never know when you will need to know the answer. Why go around asking other people? But learn knowledge yourself so you have the answers available. بِالْعِلْمُ Hold on to knowledge and keep on giving, gaining knowledge before your soul is taken. <laughs> what does that mean? Before the people of knowledge are gone. Before there's nobody who are scholars left. One time, when the Prophet had just passed away, Abdullah bin Abbas was amongst the younger sahaba. So he goes to, he was about 13 to 15 when the Prophet s.a.w. passed away. The giant Abdullah bin Abbas was only a teenager. He goes to one of the Ansari's and he says, Halumma, let Let's go. Falnas al Ashab al Let's sit with the companions of the Prophet s.a.w. The Prophet has just passed away. It's not, it hasn't been too long. It's been a few weeks, few months. It hasn't been too long. There's a lot of companions of the Prophet alive today. Let's sit with them. Today, there's so many scholars of around so many Sahaba around us. The Ansari looks at him and says, Abbas, Really, Abdullah, you think that you're going to go and learn from everybody and one day people are going to come to you? Just a kid. You're nobody. One day we're all going to be gone. And your generation and the generation after you will carry on this stuff. The little drops. That we were able to just shed in our community is all that will be left. When we were around our teachers, we never thought we'd ever lose them. Then when the first one passed away, then you realize a day will come if Allah gives you that life where people will see you the way you saw your teacher. Like, whoa. But well, am I prepared for that time? Am I prepared for that moment? So then he says, the man left Abdullah bin Abbas. And Abdullah ibn Abbas said, he ignored him, he continued talking to the Sahaba and learning from them. And then he goes. He says, If I heard that such and such companion knew one statement of the Prophet that I did not know, I would leave my home, though he is the cousin of the Prophet ﷺ, he's Ahlul Bayt, he's elite, he's, as, he's as, as top as it gets. He said, I would go to that companion, if I find out he's napping because it's hot outside, رِدَاءِ عَلَى He said, I would put my shawl down by his door, and I would lay down in the heat the wind would blow dirt onto my face, but I would patiently out of respect wait for my teacher to come out so I can learn one question one one drop of knowledge for him. He says, The companions would come out of the homes and see the cousin of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on the floor and immediately lose it and say that o Sallam. oh cousin of the Prophet. Why did you not just summon us and we'd be at your footsteps? What are you doing at our footsteps? You are really—you blood of the Prophet You should have just summoned us. And he says, La, no. It's my responsibility to come to you because you have knowledge that I don't possess. Then the Ansari Sahabi says, Time went on and the sahaba passed away until one day I saw this boy become a man, become an elder, who around him there was hundreds of people sitting to gain from his knowledge. He said, how the tables turned. He said, this boy was smarter than I was. Last two advices. Number one, wallahi, La ilaha I swear by Allah, the one that there is no god but Him. You have not lost anything. You speak Islam. If you woke up a Muslim today, عليه, and if you go to sleep a Muslim today, دنيا, any problem in the world is less than losing your iman. If you woke up a Muslim today and you're going to sleep a Muslim today. You have 99 problems, but Iman ain't one of them. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem you don't have, which is not having Iman. Finally, minha <laughs> He said, this whole dunya is just sadness. Whatever little happiness you find in this dunya, this was just by chance. It's just a little profit that you're getting at this moment. This whole dunya is meant to break your heart. And the moments of few moments of happiness you have, that was just a blessing that Allah just trickled on you. Otherwise, it was never worth it. And if you try if you try to make this worth it, you can't make something worthless. Anyway.